Chasing Quicksilver, Episode 2, Aristotle and the Butterfly. Aristotle gave the name Psyche to the butterfly, which, as we know, emerges from a cocoon after an earlier life as a lowly caterpillar. It suggests perhaps that Aristotle believed in our inherent and inevitable capacity for transformation, or maybe he believed that the soul emerges and is experienced in its glory after a transformation. In many traditions, these three relationships to things of the spirit are recognized, the butterfly, the cocoon, and the caterpillar. The butterfly is a person who has glimpsed and understands the nature of the soul. When he or she encounters the expression of the soul in scripture or in art or music, or experiences it in the presence of another, they recognize it as truth and they try to live within it. When the larva within the cocoon encounters the expressions of the soul, it is aware of something and believes in something more, but they don't yet know it themselves. When the caterpillar encounters the butterfly, it scoffs and derides the beauty and grace of the soul because it doesn't know itself, and it doesn't understand its own nature. This is part of the laws of nature. Most caterpillars never live to see their transformation for the same reason most hatchling bay turtles never reach the ocean. It's a treacherous existence. Profound spiritual awakening and enlightenment, transformation is something experienced and reported in all cultures all over the world from all periods of history, but it's still a relatively rare phenomenon within a population. In many cases, those anointed emphasize that the experience is beyond human capacity to explain in words. Perhaps it's the problem of the butterfly trying to explain to the caterpillar the glory of flight under beautiful wings. In the mystical lore of the Old Testament, the name of God, Yahweh, is said to be unpronounceable by man. But the lore also tells us that a godly understanding accompanied the experience for those who could pronounce it. In the practices of the East, a glimpse of enlightenment involves passing through the gate of the 10,000-petaled lotus into a dimension beyond language and words. In modern Western philosophy, Ludwig Wittgenstein said that the truth is ineffable. The foundation of the Buddhist tradition is the awakening of Gautama Buddha to the state of nirvana and the accompanying wisdom he shared following this experience. The quest of the Zen discipline is the experience of Samadhi, and Jesus began to teach after he was baptized in the river Jordan when the Holy Spirit descended upon him. The symbols of the Holy Grail, the Philosopher's Stone, and the Golden Fleece all represent the object of the spiritual quest, an experience of profound awakening and an attainment of an enlightened understanding as to the immortal nature of the soul itself. One of Aristotle's teachers, the philosopher Plato, wrote of this in his allegory of the cave almost 500 years before Christ. He described men chained in a cave facing a wall upon which shadows were cast. The shadows are the result of the movements of puppets being played upon a catwalk behind them in the cave. Behind the catwalk, a large fire casts light to create the shadows on the wall. The men, chained together in the cave, had been there for so long that they believed that the shadows on the wall were reality itself, and like the caterpillars, couldn't see beyond their own existence. One day, one of the men is mysteriously released from his chains. He discovers a set of ascending stairs with a light at the distant end of a tunnel, 
and he wanders up to the outside world and steps into daylight. Blinded momentarily, he's afraid, but as he becomes accustomed, he realizes that the shadows on the wall that he thought were reality for so long were just shadows and illusions. While he's there in the light, he encounters other beings who, like him, are free from the chains and the shadows of the cave. But when he returns to men in chains, he is ridiculed and laughed at because no one believes him as he tries to explain the things that he's experienced. A shaman, or a medicine person, is a holy person who is called to spiritual service in their communities. The calling process for a shaman begins with what is ver variously described as the shamanic birth or the shamanic death event, which often involves an awakening to the light and to a transcendent awareness. They are driven or pulled to leave the old ways of life behind to embrace a new identity. This calling can take the form of intense visions or dreams, or they can manifest as a quiet voice that draws them into their journey. Regardless, the calling leads to a condition like the hero of Plato's caves, a capacity to be aware of and to walk in two worlds, the material world and the spirit world, to understand the shadows and the light. Awakenings can come as a consequence of a vision quest, which is a universal rite of passage, whose rituals even have parallels in Christianity and Judaism. In the West, these rituals are the baptisms, the confirmations, and the bar mitzvahs that celebrate and symbolize the shift from childhood to adulthood, or from one spiritual stage to the next. In Christianity, members of the church are born of the flesh when they come into the world, and symbolically are reborn of the spirit when they're baptized or confirmed. It was the direct experience of the Holy Spirit that was always the true objective of the baptism ritual, but very few modern Christians associate this miracle of awakening with having their forehead marked with holy water. In the yogic traditions, this transformative process, this quickening of the soul, is called the kundalini awakening, which is the process of opening one's psychic field, or prana, to previously dormant aspects of the soul. Prana, like psyche, means breath of life or life force. The legends and lore of the Celts describe the initiations of the Druidic priests as involving trials, discipline, and long studies, yet the great mages were also called through spontaneous awakenings and visions. They referred to those ones so-called as the twice-born, or even thrice-born. Countless stories of these psychic transformations are expressed in art, literature, music, and myth, and we have as many explanations for them as there have been human languages in all of the cultures of the world. These kinds of experiences have inspired cults, religions, and human innovation throughout history. Some of these experiences have led to great liberations and expansions of ideas, and some, through corruption, have bound cultures and societies in prisons of the mind. The rational mind has a great deal of difficulty with the phenomenology of visionary and rebirth experiences described and recorded globally in art and literature. When people who have had them describe the experiences, very often their descriptions have common markers with accounts of those who have had near-death experiences or even of those who report abduction experiences. The hero of Plato's allegory is cut from his chains, taken through a tunnel into the light where he encounters other spirits that guide him and debate his fate before he returns to the cave. Regardless of the words we use to describe them, these stories have too much in common to ignore the similarities. 
the literature tells us that often a person has an experience of being out of their body, encountering a field of overwhelming light, being shown things about one's own path, encountering otherworldly beings or spirits, and being given a sense of mission before returning. Shamanic descriptions include descending into darkness, having one's body dismembered or decomposed, almost like entering into a cocoon, having their spirits transformed in the light, and then having the flesh put back on their bones as a new person. The phenomenological descriptions are difficult for the rational mind, but the sheer volume of accounts of these experiences globally and throughout history make it factually indisputable that something is happening, and that this is a universal human experience. The soul emerges as butterfly from a lower state. This transformation is represented in the mythical objective of alchemy, whose quest is said to be the understanding of the techniques to transmute base metals into gold. Yet by what methodology can we do this? What process will allow us to experience it? Is this an experience for all people? In some traditions, monks can spend 30 or 40 years under the guidance of a master to understand this path of transformation and learning how to teach it. In many legends, the prophet or the master traveled the four directions of the world looking for answers, passed through the six schools or the seven schools of discipline, sought the greatest teachers alive, only to discover that the answers are not in a school, not with a master, not in a direction or within a tradition. No one can teach a caterpillar how to become a butterfly. We can talk about a process. We can speak of results, but nothing. No book and no lecture can make this change. No study or rational process of the mind can come to the realization of the nature of one's soul. It has to be experienced, and direct subjective experience is the opposite of the methodologies of the rational mind. Enlightenment has no dimension in the material world. It has no height, width, or depth that can be measured. It occupies no strand of time. Science cannot measure it and cannot manage the language to describe it. This is the hard problem of consciousness, and it's a hard problem because the rules established within the psychic field of rational materialism have the universe upside down. The algorithms and heuristics that hold this psychic field together prevent people within the field from being able to ask the right questions and therefore they cannot give a proper explanation of the phenomena. Their fundamental belief is that consciousness emerges from matter. Science presupposes that our concept of the self and our self-awareness is a byproduct of bio and neurochemical processes because the rational mind holds at its root that the universe is material. It holds that there are no other explanations for existence than through material space and objective measurement. Their best explanations are that there are certain chemicals within the brain that give us the experience of enlightenment, and that enlightenment is simply that, a chemical experience. The psychic field of the religious mind, like the field of the rational mind, also has limiting mental shortcuts and defense mechanisms to halt this exploration and to shut down these questions. When people of this mind encounter these phenomena, or when they begin asking big questions about the nature of the soul and of existence, there are only a few paths to answers. First of all, the only place that the religious mind is allowed to look for answers to these questions is within the bounded psychic field of the Church's teachings. One of the fundamental heuristics associated with religion is that legitimate spiritual experience only happens within the sanctions of the Church. 
The counterpoint to this is that transpersonal phenomena that occurs outside the religious framework is automatically deemed to be not of God, or not of Christ, or of Muhammad, and it's therefore deemed to be evil, which is a heuristic to be sure. Some readers may feel uncomfortable with the comparison of the descent of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus to the spiritual callings of Druidic priests, or the mystical death and rebirth experiences of tribal shaman, because readers may have been taught that their version of God is the only one there is. That heuristic is that you must automatically reject anything outside of faith on its face. That's okay. These ideas are just snakes and spiders that you're trained to jump from. Hold these ideas in your mind for a moment anyway. Examine them. You can still return to faith without fear. Allow yourself to hold the idea that some people don't believe the same thing or use the same language to describe their experience of the divine as Christians do. Maybe God is bigger than one book one language, one culture, and one tribe. There are only a few heuristics available to the curious mind within the psychic field of the church, and virtually all these redirect the seeker back to that one simple shortcut, faith. If you're a Christian, feel free to be uncomfortable with this idea. Faith is a mental shortcut, but it's not a shortcut that, if bypassed, invalidates the teachings of Jesus or of the church. It's not blasphemy to question blind faith. Faith is the willingness to believe something without questioning it and to accept what we're told on its face. But the Apostle Paul himself described other layers of spiritual understanding beyond faith when he alluded to them in 1 Corinthians 3. I gave you milk to drink and not meat, for you are not yet able to receive spiritual meat. If your soul is calling for a greater relationship with the divine, and you're asking yourself questions, then it means you're looking for spiritual meat. Don't take the milk that the preachers and priests dole out and simply end your quest for understanding because someone says you must simply have faith. If you want to deepen your relationship with God, you must seek the spiritual meat yourself, and you must be prepared to follow the path where it leads you. Religions around the world follow a similar structure of milk and meat teachings. In just about every religion and practice, there are monks and nuns who dedicate themselves and their entire lives to meditation, prayer, and study and devotion. Then there are the masses who observe the rituals once a week, but spend their lives carrying water and chopping wood in the mundane world. There is a mystical practice, and there is a mundane practice, the meat and the milk. Within the mundane practice are moral precepts rules and laws of social conduct that help people navigate the mundane world. The true mystics have no need of these laws and rules because they're not tempted by the world. The faith heuristic is important to the masses because describing what God really is, what the soul really is, what heaven really is, takes a lifetime of practice and study. And even then, upon attaining awakening, it's near impossible to put into simple words to share with others who are used to the milk. Faith is the acceptance that these things exist without ever undertaking the discipline and practice required to experience what those countless saints and sages and shaman have experienced themselves. The shamanic, mystical, and alchemical minds see the existence of time, space, matter, and energy as emergent from, or inextricably tied to, the living field of consciousness itself, which a Christian would call God. 
An awakening is the transformation of the soul that occurs when we have a direct, personal, expansive encounter with that field of consciousness. We could also say it's when we have a subjective experience of a particular psychic state, which human beings have variously called the experience of the Holy Spirit, or of Brahman, or of Nirvana. This exploration is about the big questions. What's the psyche, and what's the soul? What's the self? What is consciousness? No shortcuts. Many attempts have been made at this, some better than others. None really have been able to make substantial inroads into the psychic field of the rational mind or the religious mind because of the psychic defense mechanisms, heuristics, and emotional triggers within these fields that defend themselves against change. Addressing these questions requires stepping into a larger frame of contemplation into the broader psychic field where the right questions can be asked unimpeded by reflex responses, which close down the exploration. Again and again, in the literature of the wisdom traditions of the world, we read that in order to find the answers, we need to go where there are no paths. This means leaving preconceptions and the old ways of being behind. This is what the caterpillar does when it's ready to weave its cocoon. It goes within and is transformed. <laughs>